house and I just saw all these mamas chasing their dreams. And I thought, man, I've got to do that. It's important. It's so important that I show my kids that regardless of where they came from, whether it's the foster care system or they have gaps in their education or whatever it is, that they can still chase their dreams. They can get pregnant at 16 and still chase their dreams, you know, which all those things are part of my story. Education gaps, pregnancy, foster care. So it became, became a thing of just wanting to show them that it's important, so important, that you chase your dreams, even if it's hard, even if life goes in a direction you never yeah. thought it would. It's important. Hey, hi, hello, Angelia here. And I'm Alexis. And this is Before the Prologue. Today, we are in for a very special treat because I get to interview Angelia Stevens. <laughs> no, I'm excited. I just know the questions you're going to ask, and they're deep, so <laughs> I am nervous excited to share, but overall, I'm very, very excited to, to share with you all. Absolutely, because not only do we love origin stories, but we love our own mm -hmm. origin stories because they share a lot about us, and, and also we're putting ourselves in the shoes of our guests. You know, we're asking all these people that we adore to be vulnerable. So obviously we have to be vulnerable too, right along with them. Yeah. So for those who aren't aware, let's give a little bio for Angelia. Angelia Stevens lives in the beautiful hills of Kentucky with her husband and four kids. She's a proud neurodivergent disabled writer and a third generation Asian American. As a child, Angelia was put into state foster care due to a home riddled with abuse and drugs. Being disabled and being from a poor rural town in eastern Kentucky, she enjoys redefining what people assume barefoot and pregnant hillbillies are capable of. Angelia is currently in the querying trenches, and you can find her sharing reading and writing content on Instagram, at Wondering in a Fantasyland. Angelia, I'm so glad to have you today. You ready to get started? I'm ready. Let's do it. Oh, boy. <laughs> It's a little intimidating. You know, it is. And Angelia gave me the option to choose between her or myself. And I, I told Angelia it's her turn because I'm going to procrastinate my turn. That's fine. Let's dissect Angelia's trauma. I hope I create a safe space for you. And if at any point we take it too far, just let us know. And let, by us, I mean me and my multiple personalities. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're a, you're a safe person. I feel comfortable sharing hard things with you. Likewise. Thank you. For sure. Okay. So trying to start off on a little bit of a lighter note. Tell me about you as a kid. What was young Angelia like? That's a lovely question. I was very, very creative, even as a youngin, and was just always outside. We lived kind of on a farm, like in the middle of nowhere. And we had like acres and acres of like wooded land. It was amazing. I'm talking little caves in our backyard. And waterfalls and creeks and streams. It was honestly, it was amazing. It was amazing. So I spent most of my time out in that environment. Environment, And as far as like the creative side of me, I was very involved in dance and musical theater and voice lessons and piano. Clarinet even, not to brag, but I can play a mean clarinet. I had a pink one. Impressive. That's a flex. It is a flex. But, but aside from all that, we had horses we had a ton of cats and dogs. It was a very cute little home life, and I loved it so much. And, yeah, I was just always outside, kind of a tomboy. But there was also this side of me that I was always like, oh, I'm so misunderstood. Like, I remember seven-year-old Angelia outside 
And I was wearing a certain outfit and my sister, who was just 11 months older than me, she's my Irish twin, um, she was dressed all girly and cute and I was just in this tomboyish outfit. And I thought, oh, I'm just so misunderstood. I'm 11 and no one understands me at all. They don't get it. It was yeah. so silly, but it's definitely, <laughs> that is like a big part of my childhood, just feeling misunderstood. Yeah. Which I had amazing parents who went over backwards to try and understand me. So it was no fault on them at all. Do you think that was one of the reasons why you liked kind of having the spotlight and telling these stories because you felt like it was your voice being heard in those moments? I felt like it was my voice being heard in the way that I wanted it to. Like once I played a character named Pepper in the musical Annie. And in that moment, my voice was heard as the bully Pepper. Yeah. And it was heard clearly. And the character was understood by the audience. And there was no confusion is Pepper the bully or, you know, Pepper just, she was. Right. So I always felt like in those spaces, the character was clear enough. Yeah. Whereas I feel like me as a person, I'm complex. We're all complex right. people. But I truly felt like my complexities were even more complex than others. Yep. So anytime I got to portray a character or write a character, it's just, you know, you understand it. It's there. It is. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I do. It does make absolute sense. That's something that I think a lot of people can relate to, but especially if anyone <laughs> identifies with Enneagram 4, yeah. I think a lot of us have that mm -hmm. thing in us where yes. we just don't feel understood. Yes. Not to bring up the, she's not like other girls trope, but... But that's our trope. That's our trope. That's our trope. That is an Enneagram 4 <laughs> trope, if there ever was. She is not like other girls. And you know what? It took me years to be okay with that. Yeah. But on the flip side of that, I love that I was so different. Right. right. On the other side, I was like, man, if I could just fit in a little better, if I can blend yeah. in a little more, it's just the yeah. most the most awful, confusing thing of wanting to be unique, but also wanting to blend in a little bit. And I feel like my mm -hmm. whole childhood was walking that fine line of trying to stand out, but trying to blend in because I didn't want to be perceived as weird. But now I'm just like, I don't freaking care. I'm weird and I love it. <laughs> I love it too. I, I love, love it. it. I love your weirdness. I love how you are. You're designed in a beautiful, amazing way. And I wouldn't change a thing about you. Too sweet. Stop it. <laughs> so sticking with young Angelia for a hot minute, would you say that you surrounded yourself with a lot of friends or did you have a lot of alone time? Hmm, that is that that is a little bit of a triggering question. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, no, no. You're you're good. That's what we wanted. We wanted to get to the heart of the stuff. Not super triggering, just friendships have always been such a hard thing for me. And when I was younger, I did have a select group of friends, maybe three that I would consider close friends at once. And, you know, when you're young friends, they separate, you grow up, and then you create new friends right. in middle school and high school. But I think for me, you know, I was adopted out of the foster care system. And I was adopted when I was pretty young by an amazing family. My parents are truly wonderful. Um, and I don't have a lot of memories of when I was in foster care and when I was in the abusive home situation I was in. But as I've gotten older, I've realized that there are some like deep rooted fears and trauma with being abandoned. So when I was younger, when friends would get too close and I didn't realize this at the time, but as an adult, I'm like, yeah, I did. I, I push them away. Um, um, even if that meant causing tr drama to get yeah. them to go away, but on the other side, I would be devastated when I lost those friendships. 
or even if they grew apart and young Angelia, just there was so much in my brain that I didn't understand. And it's really just in the past few years I've started to understand. But I do have this fear of being alone and being left and abandoned. And it comes back to the whole foster care situation, you know, being abandoned by my birth family, which was honestly a beautiful story because, like I said, got adopted by the most amazing and supportive family. But because of that trauma that I didn't realize I had, I kept friends at a distance. But uh, when I when I did have a couple close friends, like they were close, close friends, like super, super close. Um, and even as an adult, I'm like, friendships are just, they're hard. They're really hard. Um, but I am challenging myself and I am allowing myself to grow in that area because I do have a desire for friendship and I want to embrace friendship because it's such a gift. I mean, you and Raquel and Kelly, we have this little mom group and, uh, we all have podcasts and we're writing books. And I mean, you all have become such a safe space for me and I'm not pushing you away. I'm embracing it and I am proud. Yeah, you are. Did I answer the question? I think it did, but I don't know. You did. You did. And there's no right or wrong answer, you know? And thank you for not pushing us away. That takes a lot of vulnerability and commitment on a daily, sometimes hourly basis, I know. You guys have made it easy. You've made it super easy. So I will continue. And if I go silent for a couple days, you just call me out. (laughs) (laughs) Likewise. I think sometimes it helps to have friends who've also been through their own crap mm-hmm. because we understand that if we have those silent days, it's okay to have those silent days in that space. But it's also nice to have those friends yeah. who after a few days will check in and be like, hey, y'all right? How yeah. you doing today? And I do think that there's some friendships that are easier than others to navigate as an adult. So when you were younger and you were kind of balancing that tricky dynamic of wanting to have those friendships, but also subconsciously pushing them away, what was your safe space? Where would you retreat to? Honestly, and if you know me now, this is such a shock. It was outdoors. Mm. Like I said, we grew up in this beautiful wooded area. Like my parents owned acres and miles of just woodland and hills and mountains, and that's where I would go with my sister. Um, uh, my sister and I were very close, you know, 11 months apart, you're bound to be close, right? I mean, right. we would just, we, we would retreat in the hills, and we would just literally, I'm talking from daylight till dark out, um, in the woods, out in the hills, running through the cornfield. <laughs> it, it's very sweet. But that was a very safe place for me and for her, playing with crawdads and catching animals We caught snakes and birds and all kinds of crazy stuff when we were little. Um, And that's where I would go in the woods and we would play pretend. And that was always so fun, you know, because when you're little and you're in a safe place and you play pretend, you are invincible. You're invincible. And I just have so many hours upon hours of memories of playing with her and my brothers. Um, I have five brothers, so very big family. And yeah, I would say being outdoors is my safe place. And that's something as an adult that I've started to miss because we live in a more urban area. Is that the right word? Urban? Yeah, urban. Yeah, that works. works. Um, There's urban and rural. So we live in like the suburbs and we don't really have a backyard. We have like a shared patio space. So as I've gotten older and my kids watching them step into making friends and having heartaches with friends and seeing them process their own things, I have missed so much having that space for even them to go to. 
Mm. Yeah. Safe places. It was definitely out in the woods and in the forests and with the trees. I like that you mentioned playing pretend too. I mean, what a magical environment to play pretend in, like just among the trees. Yeah, yeah it really, it was very, I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Bridge to Terabithia. Yes. But it's very much that, that kind of space. <sighs> I'm not kidding. It was just, it was just like that. But Bridge to Terabithia, there's like kind of flat Ours was mountains and hills, and, like, we would walk so far sometimes you would find little caves. Like, I mean, itty-bitty caves. Nothing fancy, Mm -hmm. but we thought we were finding these amazing discoveries, (laughs) and we thought if we looked close enough, we're going to see cave paintings. Whoa. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Oh, that's making me nostalgic for a childhood that I didn't even have. I'm nostalgic for your childhood. (laughs) Listen, listen. It was a beautiful childhood. It really was. Yeah. So when did books kind of intertwine into your life in a way that became a part of your identity? Was it a slow burn with the books or was it something that just hit you one day? It happened pretty quickly for me. There's this thing at our school called AR points. I don't even know what it stands for. But if you read books, then you got to take a test for the books and then you collect points. And I am very competitive. So I needed to win. (laughs) So it started as me reading to win in like Mm. second grade, but I never had the most points. Whatever. Jamie Castle always beat me. She's so smart. (laughs) I love her. If you're listening, you're amazing. She's a doctor now, so she's doing just good. Wow. (laughs) Kudos. But I would say it started in grade school, and I started mostly reading, um, honestly, (laughs) R.L. Stein. I love him. Yes. I read so, so much R.L. Stein. I think I started reading his books in, like, second or third grade, and I just couldn't Mm. stop. I devoured every single Goosebumps books. And then I read odds and ends books like some Beverly Lewis. She's a Christian author. Um, I really loved her when I was younger. And I read Lurley McDaniel. She writes a lot of, I don't really know what the genre is, just fiction. And it's just like heartbreaking fiction. They're not rom-coms. They're books written where they bring a lot of representation to like some kind of disease or a Mm. terminal illness. Um, And she brought awareness to those diseases, which is awesome because at that time there wasn't a lot of that. So I started reading a lot of her books, and then I graduated to middle school and high school and read a lot of R.L. Stein, Stephanie Meyer, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, but I have memories of middle school specifically. Um, my mom, so, you know, I'm adopted, and yeah. she was very involved in the foster care system, and she's a little activist. I love her so much. Uh, she would go to these meetings and, like, the meeting place for the foster care system. I don't really know the fancy terms or anything, but she would let me go to the library while she would go to these meetings so the, like, the buildings were right beside each other. So it was perfect. Um, and I just have memories upon memories of me spending so much time in that library at McGoffin County Public Library. And I cannot wait to go there one day with my book and tell them how they encouraged me in my journey with writing and reading and creating. I mean, I, I literally have memories. I can smell the library if I close my eyes. Yes. And I know exactly what the temperature is. Um, I yes. can remember exactly what aisle I went to. And they have a new building now, um, and I've not been to it, so I'm sad. But I've resisted going because it makes me a little sad. But the people who were running it then still run it now. Um, And that's where it started, I would say. Yeah, I read a lot in grade school, but really starting to go to that library and them giving me the space to check out as many books as I wanted. Like, truly, they were so open and caring with me. Um, Just go whatever you want. I mean, it meant the world to me. And that library and the time spent there and the staff there really were the ones, I think, who encouraged me to read and not stop reading. Them and my mom. Yes. Um, I just love it so much. 
I know exactly what you mean about that favorite library from childhood. You know the smell. I can hear the noises if I mm-hmm. close my eyes. I remember exactly that that little beep thing that it would beep yeah. at you if you walked out without checking the book out. I actually remember when they those were new because at first my library didn't have that and then the library ended up getting that. And I was like, oh, this is fancy. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think ours ever had that. I don't remember that unless I was just a little goody two-shoes and never walked out without checking out my book, which is pretty possible. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's interesting. I feel like libraries, there's something magical about them. I think one day we should write a book about a magical library. It's funny that you say that. It's on my list. It's not a magical library per se, but this girl goes to a library and she finds this old like book of spells hidden in like the dusty parts of the reference section. And uh, (laughs) she gets sucked into the book and goes on this magical adventure. Look at it. So it's in the works. I love it. We we should co-write it. Oh my gosh. We're co-hosting. We may as well. (laughs) Well, let's bookmark that. Let's bookmark that thought. When you were in this middle school, high school phase of really falling in love with books, was there any specific book in particular that you had such an emotional reaction to that just drew out something different? Or was it just that process of all these books? I think it was the process of all the books. But when I think back to all the books I've read as a child, There is this book that I remember reading, and it gutted me so thoroughly. Mm. And I cannot remember the name of it, and it kills me. I can't remember the plot because I I just want to read it so bad again. But I remember specifically I was in sixth grade, and I remember how the book ended, kind of. But I do remember, like, the emotional response that it evoked out of me. And in that, I do specifically think in that moment I realized, man, I would love to do this for someone. To help someone feel something from pages, from words on a page, you know? And the book, it was like a relationship drama. And at the end, the couple make up, but they didn't stay together. And he drives away in his truck. I literally don't remember anything about it. And it is <laughs> killing me because I want to read it again. I don't know. I don't I feel like I, I just, I remember in that book was almost like a turning point for me because I was like, I need to cry more. And I want to make people do this one day. I want to evoke emotions in people one day. And I remember after reading that book, I decided I'm going to be a psychologist and then changed my mind pretty quickly to an actress because, you know, a psychologist, yes, you make people feel, but, you know, as an actress, you make people laugh, you make people cry. And then at one point I decided a comedian because I really wanted to make people laugh. Um, But I would say that book made me realize I love emotion. I love deep emotion and I want everybody to feel it. That book did it. The sad and the happy. All the The tears. Yeah. The sad and the happy. Can you remember what the cover looks like if you close your eyes? I'd like to think it's a truck. I don't know. <laughs> and it, it breaks my heart because I would love to read it again. Oh, I'm, I'm going to have to do some soul searching and something and figure out what it was. Yeah. And maybe one day you'll be walking through the library and you'll find it. I do remember. Gosh, this is a wreck hill moment. I remember I read the last page of it first and said, I need to know how this ends up. Uh, I love that. You know, I haven't made a habit of that, but I have done that but it's typically not the last page first it's if I'm reading the book and I have a sneaking suspicion and I want to prove to myself that I'm right that's when I'll flip yeah (laughs) yeah it's the same way but I try not to because man there are some books if you read the last page you've just spoiled yourself completely like there's no going back but then there's also been a couple times where I was glad that I read the last page because it made me DNF it (laughs) I was like I'm so Mm. glad I didn't waste my time because the ending 
made me so frustrated that I knew that if I committed any more time to it and then ended up with that result, I would have been even more frustrated. Not to make it mm-hmm. about me, going back yeah. to you because I'm enthralled by this story. So at what point did you realize I actually could be a writer and I want to try writing a book? Hmm. Middle school. I remember in sixth or seventh grade, we had to write a paper about trees and why they're important. And I wrote a little story called The Benevolent Tree. (laughs) I was so proud of my use of the word benevolent. That's a big word. I was so proud. It is. It's a big word for a sixth grader. And I was very, very proud. I remember I heard it and I looked it up. um, And from there, I wrote a story about the (laughs) benevolent little tree. So I wrote a story about it. And wow. At that point, I realized I loved words and I loved putting words together to explain a point. And kind of from there, I started writing little short stories here and there that I shared with nobody, just with myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I, in true middle school fashion, um, (laughs) wrote a little vampire short love story, which I shared with no one because I just, I I didn't, I want to share it yet, you know? And I remember I wrote one about a mom and her daughter fighting, just a lot of short stories of Um, yeah, but it was middle school when the love for writing really started. And then I got into high school and then there were more important things in high school, like boys and friends and drama and prom dresses. Um, so I really just uh, didn't do a lot of writing after I got into high school. Do you think it started back up again when you were in your twenties or when did you pick it back up? I picked it back up in 2018. I read a book called The Daughter of the Pirate King by Trisha Levenseller. And the book, I've just always loved pirates. Um, I have an affinity for pirates. (laughs) And I just thought, man, this book is amazing. So I actually messaged the author afterwards and said, I just got to let you know, I love this book. It sucked me in, finished in a day. What other books do you recommend? And from there, she actually messaged me back and sent me some recommendations, which If you're an author and one of your fans who love your book message you and you have the capacity, please message them back because it it changes things. Like, I understand it's not feasible if you're super, super popular and you have millions of followers. But, man, her messaging me back, it was so sweet and it made my day, made my day. But anyway, I read her book and I realized I love storytelling and it hit me. Why did I stop storytelling? I love it. So that night I closed her book, messaged her, got some reading recs. And started writing my own pirate adventure that night in 2018. I plotted it out. And in my mind, I started writing January 1st, 2018. And I had it planned out in my brain where if I wrote so much every day, I'd be done by February of 2018. And I wrote five chapters and tabled the book for years. Tabled it. Said, oh, okay, I can do this. And that's where I sat. That's where it sat on my little digital shelf for years. Years. Do you think you shelved it because of life just kind of getting in the way and distracting? Or was there kind of a point where you felt dejected from the story or from writing? I I think it was a little mix of both. I think life was crazy because at that point I had three kids. Yeah, I had three kids Mm -hmm. at that point. And um, one was an itty bitty bitty baby. So life really just got in the way. And then also at that point, my husband and I, we were walking through our own, our home being foreclosed on and truly just not having money to pay for essentials. We were in a really tough spot um, because when you're 19 years old and you buy a house, uh, because you can absolutely afford a house when you're 19 years old. No, you can't. Don't do it. Not most 19s. Anyway, so that coupled with the fact that 
or the thought that I didn't have any talent at all in writing, that there was zero skill there. And that's a thought I still struggle with. I mean, you know, today I got a rejection and I thought, I just don't have the skill and the talent for this. Um, that I think is what paused it, um, that at the time and the fear of lack of talent. So this is the story that you ended up revisiting in 2022, yes, correct? Yes, 2021. 21? No, no, you're right. 2022 is when I'm, I'm sorry, you're right. 2022. Okay, so how in 2022 did you pick it up? Did you have to face those feelings of, you know what, maybe I can do this? Or was there another thing that inspired you to revisit that story? There was. So in 2020, I picked up this book called The Black Witch. And it was by, written by Laurie Forrest. And it was actually a book that the author of The Daughter of the Pirate King, Trisha Levenseller, recommended to me. So I went back to the list she sent me in 2018 and bought that book in 2020 and literally devoured it in two days, working a full-time job. It's easily one of my favorite books I've ever read. And I do have this thing where if I read a book, I will message the author every time and make sure that they know I loved it. I love that you do that. It's my favorite thing. I will always do it. I will always I message that. the author. So anyway, I messaged her and said, hey, I just wanted to let you know this book is amazing. Finished it in no time. Loved it. Um, and she responded back and was so, so sweet and kind. And we kind of formed this little relationship. She followed me and I followed her back and we're friends on Facebook. And I said, hey, just for fun, can I send you the first five or six chapters um, of this little book story I wrote in 2018? I was just loving author's thoughts on it. And I sent it to her and she gave me some feedback and, you know, one of the biggest things she said to me that was so encouraging was that the bones are good and you have talent. Work on it some more. Aww. And that, I mean, that just, I mean, Lori Forrest, she knows. I've told her many times. She is one of the people that truly inspired me to work on my craft and work on a career as an author. And, you know, we've been able to connect off and on since then. And she's going to read my manuscript in its entirety. She's just, she's one of those sweet people who I just, She's just the sweetest friendship. So really, she's the one who encouraged me to pick it back up. Um, so she read it and did those little small feedbacks in 2020, and I tabled it. But the thought was there. The thought was there. And I picked it back up in 2022 after talking to a friend, Faye Beck, books on Instagram. And, uh, you know, we were just mm -hmm. chatting back and forth. And she was sharing about her book idea. And she's a mom. And I just thought, wow, there are other moms who are doing this. And that was almost like a thought, like a switch flipped in my brain. And I was like, man, if I don't teach my kids that they can chase their dreams, if I don't model that, then who is going to model that for them? So really, it was me watching my children step into this season of life where they are dreaming big dreams. You know, they're three, five, seven, and nine. They all have huge dreams at this age. My son wants to be a wildlife photographer. My daughter, oldest daughter, wants to be a chef. My youngest son wants to be a monster. <laughs> that one, we're going to work on it. But they all have these beautiful dreams in their head. And I thought, I have dreams too. And I really let my dreams go to the side. But not anymore. Not anymore. So talking and connecting to moms on Bookstagram and that community, um, Raquel was one of them um, that early on was part of the conversations. Um, like I said, Fabek Books. And I just saw all these mamas chasing their dreams. And I thought, man, I've got to do that. It's important. It's so important that I show my kids that regardless of where they came from, whether it's the foster care system or they have gaps in their education or whatever it is, that they can still chase their dreams. They can get pregnant at 16 and still chase their dreams, you know, which all those things are part of my story. Education gaps, pregnancy, foster care. So it became, became a thing of just wanting to show them that it's important, so important 
that you chase your dreams, even if it's hard, even if life goes in a direction you never yeah. thought it would. It's important. I love everything about what you just said. I love that there were people in your life at key points that, whether they knew it or not, were pivotal mm-hmm. to your story. Yeah. And inspired you in that way to revisit this thing that started years ago and needed to be told how special that your kids get to see that not just you telling them this in your words alone but in your actions I can't think of a more beautiful thing for them to see they uh my goodness they're so proud I'm sure there have been moments where like (laughs) mom get off the computer let's go do something you know they're kids but there have been more moments where they tell their friends, my mom's a writer. She wrote a book and they're, they're just so proud. Oh, my goodness. My oldest daughter, Arabella, she tells everybody, my mom wrote a book. She did. And it's about pirates and magic. And she's just so proud of me. And I remember the day when I finished the book and I got to print it off and I put it in a little binder so I could read through it and make some notes. And she picked up that binder and she's like, mom, you did it. Oh, I did. You're right, baby. I did. And I've, I've told them, you know. All of your names are in the book. Uh, not that I didn't name any characters after them because most of them go through a lot of trauma <laughs> and I don't want to make that o- yeah. speak that over them. But they like, you know, they know they're in the acknowledgements area. Oh, it does. And it makes them so proud. So when you picked it back up, you were back into writing after years of maybe questioning whether or not the talent was there and maybe not even just having the time because you have littles. What powered you to see it through? It was my kids for sure. I really wanted to make sure that they, you know, I do have a harder story to hear. I was in foster care due to a home riddle with drugs and abuse. So I was in the foster care system, was adopted. Um, Teen pregnancy, you know, there's just... There's just a lot to unpack (laughs) in my origin story, in my beginning. And I just wanted to make sure that my kids were able to look at all that, all the hard stuff and be like, wow, despite all that, mom did exactly what the world told her she wouldn't do. She wasn't just a statistic. She was more than what everybody thought she would be. And that was important to me um, is that I wanted them to have that to look up to. And, you know, another part of me just... I am a Christian. Um, I do, you know, believe in God. And I just really felt like he was asking me to write this story as well. And it's very important for me um, in my faith to be obedient and listen to what I feel like God is asking me to do. So those two things are like the biggest, you know, my kids just, you know, wanting to be obedient also um, in what I felt yeah. God was asking me to do. I want to get emotional. I love that it's something outside of yourself that powered you through. Because I think oftentimes if we're just looking inward, just looking at ourselves, the chances are at some point we're going to have that voice of doubt or something that distracts us away from yeah. it. So the more the more we can look outward on these people that are rooting us on and our faith powering us through the moments that we don't think we can push through mm-hmm. because we have that purpose, that purpose is driving us. I think that's when the magic happens. Pun intended. Magical fun! Um, because <laughs> we write about there's magic. also like I think this part of me that was like man I'm from eastern Kentucky and there's such a stigma with being raised in the mountains in the Appalachian region and I think that was also nothing about it, a motivating factor there's just such a stigma with being from eastern Kentucky and everyone thinks we're illiterate and hillbillies and you know I'm very very proud of my roots I have a thick accent and I love it I love it and I love where I'm from 
And I think I also just wanted to show others that, you know, you can have all these preconceived notions and all these things that you think to be true about these girls who are barefoot and pregnant and <laughs> I me. But you know what? We can do it just as much, yes. just as much. So I think that was important also is that I'm proud of my roots and where I'm from. And I wanted to just show what Eastern Kentucky people are capable of. You're showing them. You're showing everyone. And you're showing your kids. You're showing everyone who has that stereotype rooted in their brain for one reason or another. I think that's one of the coolest things about the book community is seeing the mold in my head of what I thought an author should look like. Seeing that be broken. Yeah. That needs to be broken. I just thought they like wore these professional business casual outfits every single day. They went to the library as their nine to five and studiously pushed up their glasses (laughs) on their nose and got to work. You know, we don't have to wear these business casual clothes. Our hair can be however, our accent can be whatever, Mm -hmm. our background can be whatever. We don't necessarily have to have this degree, that degree, this home life. There's no one size fits all resume to being an author. And you're proving that. And I just want to, I just, I don't have words. I just need a clap for you because I need that broken. I need everyone to know that that doesn't exist. This fictional reality of what an author should look like. It doesn't, it doesn't exist. because we are, man, the bookish community is so, so diverse and so beautiful, but there's room for more of that, especially in the publishing community. You yes. know, we need these voices yes. from diverse and marginalized backgrounds. We need these yes. voices from these marginalized communities. And it's been so beautiful yeah. in the last couple of years being a very, very small part of the publishing world, getting to watch it happen, getting to watch these voices who have been overlooked share. Mm. And it, man, it's, yeah, it's such a great space to watch diversity flourish. Absolutely. It's my favorite thing when I can pick up a book and it totally challenges the way I thought that mm-hmm. genre should look like or that that narrative should look like whenever I pick up something that's an environment that's a totally different environment that I haven't had experience with, I am captivated by it. And the more people who are sharing their own unique take, and I shouldn't even say the word unique because what is that, you know? Like there are so many shared experiences that aren't actually represented in the books that are on the shelves, but they are now. They're, they're showing up more and more. And I think that's something worth celebrating. And I also, I hope that that continues to be an upward trend. Absolutely. And that it yeah. yeah. And that's, that's why I am rooting for you too. And for so many of our friends is because we are bringing these different perspectives. We are putting our vulnerability out there and going through <laughs> the querying trenches, the, mm. the emotional... <laughs> it's awful i'm not gonna beat around the bush around it don't yeah it's not fun it's not fun it's not it's not it's not but we're doing it we're doing and we're there with each other because it's important (sighs) well i could just talk forever about this with you but i think we might be getting close to our time so there is one very important question i have for you oh i didn't prepare i know what the question is and i didn't prep for it (laughs) Okay, go for it. Okay. If you need to take a minute to think about it, let me know. But the last question I have for you is, if you could title the book of your life, what would it be? We wrote this question together. We did. I knew this was coming. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I had to title the book of my life something, and I have 10 titles that I would pick from. So this is a hard question, and I'm very indecisive. Um, I've changed my book title like three times myself, like the book I'm querying. Anyway, if I had to pick one out of the 50 million that I can think of, I think it would be, it's a long title name. Um, That's okay. There's no rules. There's no rules. You're right. I think it would be, it's going to sound so silly. <laughs> it's going to sound silly, but it would be running in the trees or running through the trees or something, something about trees, you know, cause that's, that's a huge part of my life and my story. Like, like we talked about, I escaped in the trees. I found so much happiness in the trees. I proved statistics wrong in the trees. So it would be running through the trees or running with the trees or something in a forest. I don't know. But and books are made of paper and paper are made from trees. Oh my gosh, I'm a genius. Oh my goodness. You know what? You know what? Publishing companies, that's what you want right there. This creative brain, we are ready for you. <laughs> uh, what a beautiful title. Look at you. It's so well-rounded. Stop it. It took me 30 minutes to get there. <laughs> Should we cut out the 30 minutes of pondering? Well, thank you so much for being on our podcast today, Angelia. It's a true pleasure. Oh, man. <laughs> I loved it. It's, it's a joy getting to host this with you, and I'm excited for the next podcast when I get to interview you and peel back all your layers. Um, you're no. you're going <laughs> <laughs> You're going to do amazing. And I know our listeners, they can't wait to hear more about you. We'll see. We will see if that proves true or not. You'll have to tune in to see. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Before the Prologue. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, leave us a review. It really helps. And if you want some more behind the scenes content, follow us on Instagram at Before the Prologue Podcast. See you next time.